Good morning. Good morning. There we go. That's a good response. My name is Pastor Chris. I am the pastor here at Grace, and we are really excited today to be together as three churches, three communities of faith. Uh, we welcome the good people of Radiant along with Pastor Joel. So if you're a per person of Grace, let's give a praise offering for them being here this morning, please. But that's not all, my friends. You don't just get two pastors today. No, no. Not just two communities. We have a third bonus community. We are excited to have Activate Church with us today with Pastor Jeremy. Can we go put our hands together for them as well? Now, some of you may be saying... Activate Church. What church is that? Who's Pastor Jeremy? This is all new. And we are going to introduce you to the community of Activate by introducing you to Pastor Jeremy. I've invited him to come up so he can share a little bit about that community. Also, what the, what the ministry they've been involved in this past week. So, Pastor Jeremy, great to see you, man. You too. Take a couple Glad minutes. you're well. So, yeah. Well, the secret on that is I just got back from traveling. COVID came upon my house. Um, I did not get infected. I've been. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. I, think, I don't think anybody else in my house would be clapping right now, um, but for um, more than five days past, no symptoms, tested negative. You don't have to worry about being around me, but I will say this since you brought it up. I'm so glad to be out of my house. I'm so, so, so excited, so I don't want to take any more time. Pastor Jeremy, by all means, share, please. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jeremy Salentano. I pastor and planted Activate Church in Huntington Beach years ago. Uh, that was not my intention growing up. As a financial advisor, still am to this day. I pastor our church as a volunteer pastor, and uh, we've begun to be very active in uh, the city of Huntington Beach. Uh, it's always been, I grew up in the church, I mean, literally cutting my teeth in pews like the ones you're sitting in. Uh, if I had been in your church, there would be teeth marks on the backs of all of these wherever we sat. That was my growing up. And uh, as I got older, I just, uh, I began to see the need for Christians to be real Christians in the world and to live their lives on purpose in generosity and in loving kindness to people. And I wanted to start a church that did that, that got outside the building. So as a matter of fact, not only are we outside the building now, we actually worship in Central Park. Uh, that's where we're at. Many weeks we, uh, we distribute things and just show kindness the Bible teaches us that it's the kindness of God that leads men and women to repentance, and uh, we try to be kind in as many ways as possible. So we use our time, talent, and treasure to make a difference in people's lives. We're very active in ministering and giving many goods and gifts away to people whose lives are not so fortunate as most of ours. And it's been a great thing because we, what we've seen uh, in the past few years, and this is one thing that I'm very proud of, but I didn't intend to do, this was a God thing, as we started our church, we began to see people coming as a result of us serving in our community. They would come because we were kind to them. And people like you being kind to them. And then they would just show up at our church and we're like, hey, that's cool. And then they brought their friends. And then they brought their family. And then they brought everybody. And the reality is, all those people, like 70% of the people that our church grew from were unchurched and dechurched people. And we had the opportunity to disciple them along the way, and they just kept bringing people. And it's been a beautiful thing seeing what God does when we get outside the box and when we use what God's given us, our time, our talent, and our treasure to bless people in the name of Jesus Christ and then see what he'll do along the way. And what I've seen is that Archie people's lives, they've changed radically in the way that they see people. 
in the way that they uh, serve, in the way that they present Jesus to our community. So I, I love doing this. Uh, recently, I bumped into Jolt, well not recently, about a year ago. We started doing some things, partnering together, and then I met Chris, and, uh, and we just have started doing more and more together, and I'm, I'm so thankful and grateful to be here. Uh, we'll be talking about the miraculous this morning, and I think it's a miracle that there are three pastors and three congregations that have come together on Sunday morning to raise the name of Jesus Christ together. So I'm just thankful to be here. You want me to talk about camp too for a moment? I just, I think it's, we're really excited about this partnership and we're continuing to do that. And I will say something really quick. Radiant, the community of Radiant has already partnered with uh, Activate in their, their, their stomping grounds at Central Park and kind of going out. And uh, Grace, the community of Grace, just buckle up because we're going to be partnering and doing that too um, in, in the future. So you've been put on notice that that's, that's coming. It, it, it works both ways. Very good. Very good. Very good. But I really wanted, before we go on, Pastor Jeremy just got back from a very, I think, vibrant and exciting ministry, a camp, and I wanted him to just share briefly about that that took place this past week. All right, so I just got back. If I seem tired, it's because uh, I slept, I think I totaled up 16 hours in the last six nights other than last night uh, for the whole course of last week since last Sunday. Uh, We went to a campground in Vista, California, and we took foster kids from the Orange County, uh, L.A. County, Riverside County, San Diego County, we took them for a week of unconditional love. We train and recruit and develop all of our counselors and our staff to show love to these kids who in many cases have just been pushed around, who have been beaten, abused, neglected, and we show them loving kindness. And if you want to see, if you want to see discipleship in action, you should join us at camp some year. Because not only are the kids' lives transformed from being at camp, but you know, one of the core values of Activate Church is that you can't outgive God. And no matter how much we try to give to God, God always gives back more to us than we have given back to Him, right? Because He wants to give you, His children, the ability to reach people for His name and for His good cause. So as we serve, the reality is at the end of the week, we realize things about us. We've taken a step forward in our growth in reaching people and developing and becoming better disciples of Christ. It's an amazing ministry. We took something like uh, 30, 30-some volunteers, 38 volunteers, I think, to take 18 children. It was a very low camp for us this past year because of COVID. It was hard getting up and running again. But Next year, uh, we'll probably take 50 or 60 again like we have in years past. We would love for you guys to be uh, part of that in any way you possibly could because it is a life-changing ministry. We've done it. My mom's been going since 1989. Uh, I've been going since 1995, but it's really transformed my life. And and something that it's done is it, it actually changed my view of what the church should look like. Because when the church gets out there and kingdom people get out there and serve others unconditionally and show God's love in practical ways, little miracles happen day in and day out. It's amazing what God will do when we get outside our comfort zone. One of the things that we teach in our training is that all the magic happens outside our comfort zone. All the miracles happen when we get out there and put ourselves in front of people. God changes lives because that's the business that he's in. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
Pastor Jeremy, again, it is so great to have you in the community yeah. of Activate with us this morning. It is a blessing to be together as three communities. In case you're here this morning and we're not aware of any of this, one other thing I want to say before we begin is we're not just going to worship together in song and in prayer and in the Word, but we're also going to fellowship together. We're having a little barbecue afterwards. If you didn't know that, you're welcome to join us. Please stay afterwards because we want to just increase the opportunity, not just to partner together in ministry, but part of what makes that partnership stronger as we get to know each other in ministry and in Christ as well, relationship. So join us for the barbecue you afterwards as well. But stand if you're able and let's sing and let's begin to fill this place Thank with you. our praise and worship for Jesus Christ. Thanks, Jeremy. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For he is good, he is above all things. His love His love endures forever, and by the grace of God, we will carry on. His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise, sing praise, sing praise. Forever, God is faithful. We are together as a community, three communities, one body, the body of Christ, two things. We're going to take a moment to, as an act of worship, get to know each other for a little bit. But today's a family service. We're going to dismiss some of our children, but most of our children are going to stay and be a part of worship today. But if you have a preschooler or some, a, a, to a toddler or an infant, we do have Sunday school for them that we can, you can take them out and we have, we'll direct you to the appropriate place. But for the rest of the ages, they're going to stay in, in this family service today. But part of worship is relating to each other, and we call it passing the peace, sharing the love of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you in the next couple of minutes to turn to someone you know, someone you don't. Identify where you're from, because there's a lot of different people in here today, from Grace, from Radiant, from Activate, get to know each other. Share the peace and love of Jesus Christ.
be seated. You may have a seat. It is so good to be here with all of you. Thank you for being here today. There's a little bit of a traffic jam in the center aisle. It is difficult to get moving and stuff. One final reminder, if there's any preschoolers or infants, the nursery is open right now. Uh, my name is Pastor Drew, and I get to serve alongside Pastor Chris here at Grace. Um, and we're going to be continuing our time of worship by, by declaring together a creed of faith. And this is the creed that we're going to be using today, the Apostles' Creed, something that unites the whole family of God, even as we here today are a wider family of God gathered together. But there is an even wider family of God throughout the world and throughout time that has declared these truths together. So let's declare this as part of our worship. What do we believe, church? We believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Oh, what good news it is to share those words together. I invite you now to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Because we're going to transition in just a moment to a time of teaching, but it's going to be a, a, a unique time of teaching. We're going to have all three pastors, Pastor Chris, Pastor Joel, and Pastor Jeremy, come up here and kind of share some thoughts and some pastoral reflections in a Q&A format. Um, we collected questions from many in our community, and then we went through and kind of condensed them into topics. And so if you don't hear the exact words of your question that you asked, um, please understand that it's probably because I'm not using your exact words. We grouped it into a topic to try and give it some flow. Um, but we're going to read through this passage. It's a very well-known passage. And then we're going to discuss what, what does this apply to us today? Not just us individually. Not just us as a single church or even three different churches. It's not going to be three different applications. But for followers of Jesus... How do we take these words and put them into practice in our own life? So let's read together from the Gospel of Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 10. Um, it'll be on the screen as well, but you can also find these um, in your Bible in the pew or online at gracefamily.info. Let's read together. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took with them, then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a, to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd... About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, 
have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And as Pastor Chris, Pastor Joel, and Pastor Jeremy come, come on up here, um, I want to give you all some context. Um, it's my task to, to intro this time, um, give you some context for what has brought us to this point. It's a very familiar story, but um, sometimes we don't always remember the stories that come before and around and after it. Okay? And so um, I put together a little map of this area of the world, okay? So you might recognize this area of the world as there's Spain and the Mediterranean Sea and the top of Africa and the Middle East. And we're going to zoom in a little bit. And then we're going to zoom in a little bit more. And this is Israel. And here, let me show you. Okay, there, there's Israel. And now let's just look at this, the satellite data because obviously all those roads and highways weren't there in the time of Jesus, okay? So let's get a little bit of a clearer picture. Okay, now, now it just looks like green and tan, and we're like, I don't know what this is. But let, let's orient ourselves. Some of you, raise your hands if you've ever been to the Holy Land on a trip or a pilgrimage or something like that. Okay, you might know where Jerusalem is. Okay, this is Jerusalem. And then there's going to be some bodies of water here. The top is the Sea of Galilee. The bottom is the Dead Sea. And the river between them is the Jordan River. Okay, so we know where Jerusalem is. This story happens in the town of Bethsaida. And that's up there on the north eastern corner of the Sea of Galilee. But if we just go back through the Gospel of Luke to see why is there such a huge crowd following Jesus around, well, we get to see where are all the places that Jesus and his disciples have been. They, he started his ministry going to his hometown of Nazareth. Oh, sorry. Oh, yes, it says that uh, if we look at the Mark version of this story, it says that people came from the surrounding areas of Galilee, which is up there, the area of Judea, which is surrounding Jerusalem, and the area of Idumea, which is south. So these are the Jewish regions that people came from. And then we know that Jesus traveled to Nazareth. We know that he traveled uh, to Capernaum. That's where Peter and James and John were, where his base of operations were. We know that he traveled uh, uh, down to the region of Judea for different festivals and stuff. We know that he also traveled to all throughout Galilee into the surrounding villages and stuff. We know that Jesus and his disciples went up to Tyre and Sidon, which is in the, the uh, Gentile region to the north. We know that he went, a, we went down to the city of Nain, which is where he raised the widow's son back to life, the first resurrection that happened. We know that he traveled across the Lake of Galilee to, to the region of the Gerasenes, which is where he cast out the demons from that man in the tombs and sent them into the pigs, the Gentile region, and then he traveled throughout the Decapolis. And so even though these are the cities that are named in the Gospel of Luke, we also know for sure he went through this blue region, which is Samaria, because that's only, the only way he can get to Jerusalem. And we also know for sure that he went through the region of the Decapolis, which is the Gentile ten cities of the ancient Roman world. And so when we think of all these areas that Jesus went to and word about him spread, that gives us an idea of some pretty large crowds that could be gathering on this tiny town of Bethsaida on the coast. Okay? And to give you perspective of how, how much distance this is, that's about 120 miles. And so in reference, that's about from Thousand Oaks to Dana Point, or to Camp Pendleton, I mean. Okay? So that's walking all over that area Jesus spent many years and word about him spread to gather this community. 
And so that answers the first question that some of you had is, why are all these people here? And that gives us a little bit of context for the crowds that have gathered. And so now I want to turn to the pastors and kind of ask you as we reflect on this passage that Jesus, uh, he, he, he has this huge uh, crowd. They are hungry. The disciples suggest to send them away to get their own food. And Jesus suggests that they uh, should uh, be uh, fed by his disciples. So what are some initial kind of thoughts as you think of the context or as you think of this story? What are some initial thoughts that kind of come to you or some thoughts of that? Got house, oh, privi- house we, privilege we, here. We didn't practice, oh. so <laughs> we don't know who's supposed to talk. Uh, okay. Um, you know, for me, one of the, and just, just talking about the context of this story, as we all know, this is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels other than the resurrection. Um, this is, and I think that's important because this is a pretty imp- impressive story, um, but oftentimes people will question, not, and I'm talking about sometimes in the church but outside the church of, did this really happen? I mean, seriously. And what's interesting because it's in the four Gospels is when you look at all four Gospels account- accounts, you see things that suggest that this actually did happen historically. Um, there's something called, uh, it's called uh, an unintended coincidence when basically the retelling of a story happens to fit hand in glove with the other telling of the story. And there's different things when you look at these together that kind of suggest to us this wasn't just something that got made up, but that the, there are parts that get filled in. So, for example, a couple of quick examples that maybe if you, didn't, if you didn't, only looked at Luke, you wouldn't see if, unless you looked at the other three. Um, Mark makes a big deal about mentioning that when the people sat down, they sat down on green grass. And several of you rose your hand to being in Israel. If you've been to that part of Israel, you know the grass is not green. Um, except... For one part of the year, at one time of the year, the late winter, early spring, which dovetails with something John tells us that Mark doesn't, which is that this took place during the Passover, which also explains why Mark makes a big deal of letting us know that people were coming and going. So when Drew talks about all these people being in this place, part of it was they were coming and going because of the observance of the Passover. So that's something where you go, oh, okay, it's not all in one account. You have to see that. Something else that comes up is it's very interesting in this. I don't know if you ever caught this before. The Luke account says the 12 came. But other versions say that, you know, there's this huge crowd, and Jesus says to Philip, Philip, what are we going to do about all these people? Now, that's interesting because if you read through the Gospels, Philip doesn't really come up a lot. So why the heck is he talking to Philip? Why, wouldn't it be obviously be Peter? He'd say, Peter, you're my guy. What are we going to do? Why is it Philip? Well, because as Drew just pointed out, we find out Philip was from Bethsaida. And who comes up later? Later, again, Luke kind of cuts to the chase and says, the disciples said we had you know, five loaves and two fish, but we actually know from John, again, that it was a boy who had five loaves and two fish. And who is it that tells Jesus that? Andrew. Guess where Andrew was from? Bethsaida. That's correct. So these are the little things that, again, kind of say, show, to, show us. You know, the other thing that, I, that you probably have heard many, many times is that this was the feeding of the 5,000, the 5,000 men. But likely the number is way more than that because we count women and children. How do we know that that number is reliable? Well, you see it in Luke and in other places. He had them sit down in groups of 50. And in fact, John makes the point that the, the people who sat down were actually the men. So the men sat down in groups and served their families. That's how that we could know. That's how they were able to get an accurate count. So for me, I, just think, I think it's really important. I mean, we're going to get into the implication of it. But I think it's so important to realize we're not just reading fables here. We're not just reading myths. We're reading something that actually happened. And oftentimes the way the Bible is put together reinforces that. So that's something that really just stands out to me in terms of the context. Yeah. And I think, uh, as you've probably heard before, and this is something we, we learn in school, right, that context is king. 
Like, that's always the, 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 the framing question of any text. And it's not just the historical context, which, which Chris uh, covered very well there. It's also just the, con- the literary context, where, the, where we're at in the storyline as the gospel writer or as the author uh, gives it. And that context is going to play a, a huge part to our interpretation. So when we look at what happens right before this story, what is it? If you have your Bibles or your app open, the, the thing that happens right before this feeding of the 5,000, according to Luke, is the sending out of the 12, where they were charged to go out and, and sort of practice what they've been learning. And this is the implication that we'll talk about a little bit later about discipleship, is that discipleship just isn't about following Jesus, it's about carrying on the ministry of Jesus. And so they get their first taste at, at being these ambassadors as being really apostles. And, that, and then this is what we're told at the very beginning, too, uh, according to Luke, that they, they withdrew to Bethsaida for a purpose, and it likely was for rest. It was probably after the work of, of doing this ministry, and as the disciples returned, they withdrew to a solitary place where Jesus could be alone with them and sort of process what they've seen and what they've learned. But because of Jesus' popularity, because of the miracles he's been performing, the crowds follow, and yet Jesus doesn't turn them away. The text says he welcomes them. The other part of the text is the literary context is what comes after. And the very next story that we hear in Luke is Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ. And so that sandwich of what comes before and what comes after gives us a lot of clues as to what this text is really about. That, again, we don't want to read uh, what we think it is. We want to see what the author intended. We want to see... Again, not jump right to the lesson for us, but what was the lesson for the people of the day? And this is going to be part of our framing, too, of understanding who this uh, this miracle, if you will, what who this miracle is truly for. And so I think, again, keeping in mind that context of the disciples and ministry as and 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 the moving of them from ministry and then also understanding who Jesus is, is is a huge part of of this text. Anything you want to add to that? I'm, I, I don't want to. I think there's something very interesting in it. I, just getting back from camp and leaving it all out there, you know, I told our team, I said, my goal for the week is to, and I want to give you a visual picture, is when you, you've got a wet towel that's been in the water soaked up, and you, you start wringing it out to dry it out, and you can no longer, with your strength, wring any more water out of that towel. I told our team, I said, that's what I want you to feel like on Friday when we go home. I want you to leave it all out on the field there. And, and we find Jesus and the apostles in this same situation. They had been out serving. They had been out on their first voyage into different towns. And they come back, and they're, they're wanting to retreat to a quiet place to debrief, like Joel was saying. And I think there is something beautiful there, because Jesus is always teaching. When we're at camp, we always talk about teachable moments and they're, all, they're, they're hidden moments in, in, in every situation that we find ourselves in, in every relationship. And how many of you guys, after a long trip, after you just kind of get unpacked, you just want to just crash? I know Chris has just been on uh, vacation. <laughs> he probably just wanted to crash and, you know, just recover from that. I'm the same way. And yet, it's beautiful to see what Christ is showing his disciples here when they're trying to get away. And it says the people followed them and met them as they crossed over to get away. He, he said when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And I, I think Jesus is trying to 
uh, give his heart to his disciples because it is that heart. It is that relational connection. It is the heart of the ministry that he's trying to pass on to them because he knows in a short while he's going to be leaving. He's got three years and he has to take this, uh, the Bible calls them idiotes. He has to take this group of idiots, like uh, I consider myself in good company, and Joel, too. Yeah, I can, I can give him a hard time. Are you coming up here? Or... <laughs> am, I, am I part of the No, no, you're, you're, wise, you're a wise man. We're in your house. You, don't, you haven't gotten to know me well enough yet. <laughs> no, God takes this humble group of people who were fishermen, and he's trying to say, you guys are going to be world changers. I need you to see life a bit differently. And he has compassion on those people. I just thought that was very Well, and beautiful. to reinforce that idea, I think that's really important back to context of a teaching moment, is when, you, again, you look at all four accounts, Luke doesn't give us this. When Jesus Amen. asks that question of Philip, we're told he knew what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. He asks this yeah. to see how Philip is going to respond. Right. And so when you look at this, there's three, I mean, as always, who's involved in this? You have Jesus, of course. You have the crowds, but you have the disciples. And I think it's important, back to even what Joel said, they've just come from this incredible experience of being sent out. And they come back and report all these miraculous yeah. things. We saw all these things happen. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, okay, Jesus is like, great, you did great on your own. Let's say you do with me. What are we going to do with these people? Well, send them into town to buy food. This is <laughs> right. our, our yeah. problem. Exactly. Yeah. Right? And, and I think... Again, this is why I started a church, because I grew up in church, and in church, we have this in-the-building mentality, and we don't have an outside-the-box understanding of what Christ is trying to do in our community. And when we get outside of this box together, and we start showing God's love and God's compassion on people like they're sheep lost without a shepherd, guess what? They love the love. They want to join in. They, they find us comforting. They find us loving. And, and that's exactly what Jesus is trying to do here. He's trying to say, look, guys, you got to think outside the box. Don't think, well, it's going to take us, like they said, it's going to take us months to earn right. enough money to feed all these people. Well, that's not what it was about. But even, and even in the more immediate, just, and we're kind of tipping into application, but that's okay. Yeah, sure. is, Sorry. Uh, no, 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 no. Go no home. That's absolutely where we need to go <laughs> is I love the idea that we're emphasizing the fact that they had done ministry and now they were basically in this their time. Um, you know, one of the things, and I've, I've kind of made a public announcement, but I've f- floated to a couple of people, Activate, we're really excited about this partnership. I love the fact that they go out and they're out serving on a Sunday. And I've had more than one person go, but Sunday, that's our time. Can <laughs> yeah. we do it on another day? Because we're here on Sunday. Now this story becomes more applicable, right? Because the disciples were probably were like, um, we just did a, like a week-long camp here. This is our time. This is our time. <laughs> this is our time. And so could you be hungry tomorrow? So I, again, I'm just trying to bring home how we can see ourselves in this story. I think that's really important. So I want to pop in here with a, a few more of the questions that had come in, kind of about the miracle itself. A lot of times we talk about this, of like the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And earlier in the week, some of us are having conversation about what does the miracle actually entail? Who is the miracle actually for? You know, is this a miracle that we can believe in? But maybe you can also kind of lean towards kind of what Pastor Chris is going towards of how Jesus is, is interacting with the disciples through this miracle. But can you talk about kind of the what happened here and, and maybe why it's reliable or even uh, what, what we might miss on a first reading? Well, I, I think Chris covered a lot of the, uh, the believability of the story, of why we can trust it. As, as a real story and not just uh, a real event and not just a, a fable or a parable or a living parable or something like that. Um, 
I know one question had to do with, well, what is a miracle to begin with? Mm -hmm. And really, I mean, from in, in its most basic form, a miracle is just something that is outside the laws of nature. So we might uh, call something a miracle. I, we were covering uh, Acts uh, chapter uh, 4 last week at, uh, at Radiant, and, and the beginning of the verse talks about how all the believers, over 5,000 of them, were all of one mind and one heart. And I said, and that's the miracle, right? <laughs> that you got 5,000 people, 5,000 Christians to be of one heart and one mind. And in and, and reality, though, that's not a miracle. I mean, it feels like a miracle because it's abnormal, right? So that's part of what we think of as a miracle, something that's abnormal. But it's really outside the bounds of the laws of nature. And so, um, again, you, you don't start with a consumable like food, uh, five loaves and two fish, and then end up with leftovers after feeding a bunch of people where you have more food. That just doesn't, that's not natural. And so, you know, that, that's, the, that's kind of just the basic definition of a miracle. But I, I think it's also interesting that the word miracle is never used here, mm. right. right? We don't hear that. Uh, we think of it as a miracle because a miracle occurred, but we don't see the word. Luke doesn't call it a miracle. And usually a miracle uh, in its truest sense scripturally is dynamo. It's something dynamic. It's something powerful where God has broken through and done something Again, outside the laws of nature, which we believe did happen here. I believe did happen here, but we don't actually have that word. John uses a different word for miracle, and it's, it, it means sign. And I think more importantly, that's how we have to see these, these miracles, is that Jesus didn't just go around doing cool stuff for people, right? He wasn't a magician. He wasn't a genie where he was just, you know, doling out the goodies to people uh, that came. He was, every time he did something miraculous... He did it for a purpose. So I think every time I come across these questions or these stories or the miracles, that's the question I'm interested in asking is, what is the sign here? What's the purpose? What is Jesus trying to do? And I don't know if we want to get into the answer, my answer of that. But Let's do that. Hold Let's on. transition to what, what is the purpose? What is Jesus trying to do? I think Jesus is trying to move them into that place of truly revealing himself, especially to the disciples, right? So first of all, notice, again, Luke doesn't give us a lot of details about how this happened. Again, think of, of where he does put his focus. He puts his focus on the disciples. He, uh, he says the disciples multiple times. He barely references the crowds. Um, he simply says that, that um, the disciples brought, again, from the boy, they brought the five loaves and two fish, that Jesus always makes it about them. It starts with what? You give them something to eat. And then it moves to, what do you have? Bring me what you have. And then all he says is, he takes the bread, he blesses it, he thanks, and then he passes it out. Actually, he passes it out. They pass it they out. Pass yes, it out. that's Which a good I point. Think is important. That's they an important point. Yes, they pass it out. But all he does is bless it. And again, there's, there's allusions that we might read into this with uh, the story of the disciples on, uh, on the road to Emmaus, where their eyes aren't opened uh, to the reality of Jesus until that meal until that blessing of the bread, which is, again, sort of a Passover reference of what he does on the, the Last Supper. So there's, there's these illusions that, that run rampant within this story, but I think what we see, uh, again, is that Jesus is moving them from the details of how did this happen. Jeremy, you, I think it was, I don't remember if it was you or Drew, but we talked about that. Um, that's good, I said it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> It was probably Drew, actually. But it was, it was something about the, um, you know, it's like when we see a magic trick, right? We, yeah. Our first reaction is what? 
It's like, how did they do that? And that's what I think a lot of people, how they interpret the story. It's like, well, how did Jesus do that? That's the wrong question. The question is not, how did he do it? It's, who is this guy? Who is this? And why is he doing this? And why is he doing this? And so it really moves from the how to the who. And I can get into, again, when I'm, you know, having to teach kindergartners about creation in Genesis 1, it's like, let's not get so tied up in the how, because that's not what Genesis is about. It's about the who. It's about God as creator. And so here we're going, what's the who? <laughs> who's the who? Sounds like Dr. Seuss. Who's the, but uh, who's the who here? And Horton, here's a who. I don't even know what's happening now. You're but anyway, we end up with what's happening. Like, who is this guy? And that's what, that's what we see, again, pointing to what comes next of Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ. It's because they're moving from the point of here's a teacher, here's a rabbi, to maybe, maybe this is a prophet. By the way, tons of prophetic allusions here to Moses in the wilderness, to Elisha of feeding the prophets. Um, But they're moving from teacher to prophet to Messiah. And so that points us, to me at least, in the direction of this is the point. It's to reveal Jesus. Interestingly, though, I don't know how much the crowd picks up on this. Because they're sitting in their groups. The disciples are the ones feeding. I mean, do they even recognize? Yeah, all they see is just, there's food showing there's up. There's food so coming. There's food showing up, yeah. Yeah, they're Pastor, not really so paying Pastor attention. Jeremy, can you What's, talk more about kind of maybe some purpose up from it's this? Kind of, it's kind of the, if you, if you rewind to the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was at the wedding and turned water into wine, you know, the same thing is true there. I don't think the... Uh, people at the wedding knew what was going on behind the scenes, but you see Jesus again taking what's available. Like in this story, he said, five loaves and two fish. Or What's available here? What do I have? I've got five loaves and two fish. I've got jugs of water, but I've got the power of God that wants to show himself to those who are going to carry on the ministry so that you and I today, thousands of years later, can know about this Jesus whom we've never met in bodily form. And I think that's just a beautiful thing is that he does what he can. He's trying to show the disciples in this story, what do you have? Because it doesn't really matter whether it's jugs of water, a couple loaves of bread, nothing, dirt and spit, you know, whatever he's got, he uses to do God's good work for his good pleasure. But he's doing that again, like we've been talking about. This is He's emboldening and getting these, uh, these disciples to look outside the box because they're going to go around the world. They're going to be uh, tortured and suffer for the gospel's sake. And they need to, in their hearts, know no matter what, when Jesus isn't here with us, we can stand on our own two legs together and trust that God is going to show up to reach his people. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no. Um... I think I wouldn't disagree with anything that was said. I think it's, a, and this is an, an inseparable idea, but all of the miracles or signs that Jesus does are about embodying and pointing to the kingdom of God. Yeah, right. And so this is a, a, this is a new, and this is going to be a little bit of a longer answer, but bear with me. The idea of God's reign, God's kingdom. I mean, and the resonance in this story is Moses, right? You know, at some, at least in John, they pick up on the idea of Joseph, uh, Moses, excuse me, Joseph, I don't know where that came from. Moses fed our ancestors in the wilderness with manna. We all know that one, but the other one to keep in mind is also Elijah. In 2 Kings, Elijah feeds with barley loaves. And back to context, the way the, the story goes, what's going to come after this? 
The transfiguration where Jesus is going to be talking to Moses on one side and Elijah on the other. And this is a demonstration, yes, that Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah, the one they were pointing to, but this is in fact the kingdom of God. Isaiah 25, I think it is, and 40 at least, also make a big point of the manifestation of God's reign, his, his compassion. His compassion for the hungry, feeding those who have need. So that's a part of this as well. And I, I got to go here too. I was not going to do this, but, you know, because I get this. I, if there's a, how many engineers are in this room? Raise your hand if you're an engineer. Don't hide. Raise your hand. Okay. It seems to be the engineers sometimes who are like, yeah, this is a great story and all, but I just don't understand how this can happen. The mechanics. And the mechanics of it. And here's what I want to leave you with. And if I lose some of you, it'll only be for like two minutes. Um, <laughs> enough time to use the restroom. When we read coffee. scripture, and I don't think we do this enough, we have to consider this idea of a higher logic. And what I mean by that is, Many of you are familiar with modern physics, the idea of special relativity. Is that correct? Have you heard of that before? Einstein? Right? Special relativity, there are concepts in science such as time dilation and length contraction that we are being put forth as these are things that are happening in our reality. But here's the thing. You can't appreciate time constriction or time dilation and length contraction unless you're moving at the speed of light, which none of us are and none of us can. And the point of this is, is just because you can't experience it doesn't mean it's not real. And when you read scripture, we have a lot of things now that at the time people were like, how could this happen? We go, oh, we can explain it. But now we're like, well, because we can't explain it now, it didn't happen. There's a dimension of we have to recognize that if God is who we say God is, then God can do things that are way beyond what we can understand. And I want to end with this. Because this is important. I'm going to disagree a little bit with Jeremy, uh, or not Jeremy, with Joel. No, we'd never disagree with Jeremy. Just pass You totally Joel. should. Um, is I think the, another way to think of a miracle, I think we get it wrong. We go, it's something outside the natural world. But here's what we believe as Christians. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. This world is broken. So when we say it's natural, we imply, well, it's the way it's supposed to be. No, the world is broken. So what Jesus shows us in bringing the kingdom of God is this is the way the world's supposed to be. So a miracle is not breaking the natural law. A miracle is basically saying this is what was wrong and this is how it's right. That was really good. Not just in the feeding, the actual manifestation of food, but of the feeding of people. And I'm going to end you with this quote because I love it by Tim Keller that will bring it all together. He writes this, when Jesus heals the sick, raises the dead, and feeds the hungry, he shows that he is no more satisfied with the current conditions of this world than we are. Jesus' power is not just to save us out of the world, but to heal the world. Jesus' miracles look back to the world God created originally, to the Garden of Eden. Feeding miracles look back to when, to look back to when no one was hungry. Healing miracles look back to when no one was blind or broken or sick. Nature miracles like the calming of the storm look back to when there was total harmony between humanity and nature. But the miracles do not only look back. They also look ahead. They point forward to the new heavens and the new earth of Revelation 22. This means that we should not primarily think of miracles as suspensions of the natural order, but as restoration of the natural order. Jurgen Moltmann wrote, Jesus' healings are the only natural things in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. That's good. Amen. That's good. That's great. Bravo. Tim Keller. You can't go wrong. You cannot go wrong. Good old Tim Keller. Keller. That's um, good.
so <laughs> let's, let's bring this around from the abstract of a story of looking at it from a couple of different angles and let's head into some application because the last thing we want to do here is sit here gathered at the wider family of God from three different churches and be the crowd that just sits and receives and goes, that was a great meal and then goes on with our day. Mm-hmm. We want to know how, how, who are we supposed to be and how can we take action or what is Jesus inviting us into from this story? Now, to me, it goes right back to that, that statement. It encapsulates the whole thing. You give them something to eat. I mean, that's, that's our application. And uh, I think, actually, you, you, you touched on it there, Drew, that, um, that we, if we, when we put ourselves in the story, if we see ourselves as the crowd, we are consuming. And we, we talk a lot about this at Radiant, and it's one of the things I see in the larger church is that we've created, in, in the American Western church at least, we've created consumers, where people come to church to consume something, to get something. And we hear it in the language, too. Well, I didn't like that church because I wasn't fed. And, and maybe some of you use that, <laughs> that phrase. And sometimes we, we might mean something a little different there. But usually it has to do with what do I get out of it? And when we look at Christianity and we will look at following Jesus, um, it's never about what you get out of it. Right? That's not our, our lynch. And if, if we, I think uh, Jeremy likes to say, I'm going to steal a quote from him, and I think he stole it from somebody. That's how pastors work. Um, <laughs> it's true. It was from Tim it's Keller. True. It's, yes. true. it's that, true. You know, you keep them with, with what you catch them with. with, with yeah. yeah. Yeah, you said it better than I did. Yeah. You keep them with what you catch them with. So well, if you catch them with this, you know, big church production of this, you know, great praise band that looks like a rock concert and a, you know, a, a good looking pastor in skinny jeans and, you know, <laughs> Um, I mean, any of us could qualify for that. Uh, yeah. Then, you know, I mean, it was then, there. then that becomes the expectation. It's like, what are you going to do for me? Build, build Disneyland for my kids so my kids want to go to church. But you're not teaching them how to be followers of Jesus. You're teaching them to be consumers of God, to say, God, right. what can you do for me? And now what we've done is treat God as a genie. God's there for me when I need him on my terms. I'll go to church when I need something, when my life is falling apart. And then I'm going to say, well, how come, you know, I'm, I, nobody cares no, to, to visit me in the hospital or whatever else it might be. We, we, I think we have just become way too, too much consumers of, of the word and not doers of the word. And it's not a one or the other, by the way. It's, it's a both and. And I think that's where we need to see ourselves in the story. Long answer, longer. We need to see ourselves in the story as the disciples here. The people who are already on journey with Jesus, who are already learning the rhythms of, of the kingdom and, and their, their place in that. And yes, there's going to be a time where people come into that as crowds. And then they're going to be asked in. If we, if we read this account in John, it's what happens next. The next day, the crowds show up to, to you know, to, they follow Jesus again. And he looks at them and says, well, are you coming back for a free lunch? Yeah. Because that's what it is. And he says, and I won't say what I, how I usually interpret the story, but he basically says, if, if you're going to do that, the free lunch is over. Like, now it's time that if you're going to be my follower, here's what it's going to mean. You're going to eat my, my flesh and drink my blood. Yeah. And what does it say? A bunch of people left. I always like to say Jesus took the, fall, the, the people, the crowds, from Saddleback to Radiant, like overnight. <laughs> like in an instant. I mean, because it was a challenging message. Yeah. So, wow. It's just, it's, 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 the, it's the challenge 
that I think we have to, you know, uh, the invitation into, into following, but also the challenge of following. And so there's a place where you're an invitation, where you're a seeker, where you're, you're a consumer, where you're, seek, you're, you're following just to see, you know, what this is about. You're receiving the good things that Activate does. But if that's all you ever do, is come to say, I love Activate. I just can, you know, I show up at the park every week and they give me free stuff and provide lunch for me and give me games for my kids and babysit my kids for a couple hours. It's great. That's not following Jesus. Well, and, and I want to tag onto that real quick because something else that's important in this story is the people come and they want more miracle food, mm-hmm. but they also want to make Jesus king. Yeah, that's true. And you got to tie those two things together. Jesus is king if I get what I want. If I get what I want. <laughs> And I'm going to say, join with Pastor Joel, and I imagine with Pastor Jeremy, that is an, a problem right now in the Western church. Yeah. We need to question our motivations of why do we follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Are we following Jesus for what we get? Or are we following Jesus to go off of something Pastor Jeremy has said many, many times now, and we all are in agreement on this, of what we give. Not what we get, but what we are given so that we can give it to others. Mm-hmm. The people walk away, and Jesus, by the way, wants no part of it. We also learn this in John. When the people want to make him king... He doesn't want to, he's not going to give him a free lunch, but he also just has no interest in he's being out. king. He's out. Yep. He's not going to be king on those terms, which, by the way, quick thing, this also explains for me and John, because John is the one who tells it. You read the Gospels, you get Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and there's always this, all the stuff where Jesus is like, I'm the Messiah, don't tell anybody. I'm the Messiah, <laughs> don't tell anybody. And you're like, what's up with that? Well, John helps us to understand why. Because when people thought that Jesus was the Messiah, they wanted to make him king, and Jesus didn't want to come out as the Messiah till he showed them what king meant on his terms. Yeah. So in that story, you learn why Jesus all of a sudden sees how the crowd is like, they're ready to make him king. He's like, no, this is not my father's timing. This is not my father's way. So yes, if you have the insight that I'm the Messiah, don't tell anybody. John helps us to understand why that happened. We see that later. And and in the same way, we have the same mission. We find ourselves in the Americanized church that is consumer-oriented, and we have to revolutionize what it means to be the kingdom of God here on earth you know, I've told Joel this in his office many times. If you look at the trajectory of the church, if it was like a stock market graph, you can graph it back any point over the last hundred years, roughly, and the graph goes which way? It goes down. So there's clearly something wrong with what we're doing, no? I, I, I believe there's something wrong with what we're doing. And if we intend to reach people, we have to get away from this consumer mentality that I go to church to get something and if I don't get what I want there, I go somewhere else. Because I say this, this is the language we use at Activate. Like Jesus, when the apostles were coming to him, he said, what, who, who are you, Master? What are you doing? And he said, come and see. But then he moved them on this spectrum from come and see, not to come and be filled and have your own place of luxury and comfort and all those things that we try to attain. He moved them from come and see to come and die. How many churches are you going to on Sunday morning like this that say the trajectory of the believer is to lay your life down for the cause of the gospel and for your neighbor and to love them well? We move from come and see to come and die. And Jesus promises us that we, in that we will have life and life more abundantly. And I've seen that to be true. And as we launched Activate Church, when our people love going out and serving. I, we'd rather be out serving most of the time on Sunday morning than doing what we do in the park. And the reason we moved into the park is so that we can 
again, after our services, have ice creams and popsicles and things to go hand out to the kids who are in the park and have conversations with their families. Why? Because we want to invite them in to what you and I know is the most special relationship that we can have in the whole world, and that's one with our Father, and be right with our Father. That's, that's why we're here. That's why we're together. Well, and this story you know, resonates, has always resonated, but to me resonates now more than ever. Uh, I've said this to the community of grace, so I'm saying it to other communities now, and again, I know I'm in concert with my colleagues here. The church did not show up for COVID. The church retreated. The church was more concerned about whether or not we could be in a building and worship than it was for caring and loving for our neighbor. And I will defend that to anybody who wants to take me on after this service. I got his back. <laughs> but here's the thing. I'll watch. Here's the thing. We're in the, midst of a re- we're in the midst of inflation and a recession. People are hurting right now. Yeah. There are people who can't put food on the table. How are we responding as the church? Are we responding once again out of saying, hey, man, I got to take care of my own. Hey, man, go, go buy your own food. Or are we going, this is an opportunity for us to demonstrate our faith in the midst of a climate of fear. That's what this is about. I mean, and again, I, I come back to the context. The disciples had been discipled. They had gone out and done ministry. And they came back and Jesus said, let's see what you learned. Yeah. Feed these people. And they're like, feed these people. You can't afford that. <laughs> we can't afford that. We can't pull that off. How many of you have grown up in the church? How many years have you been part of a community of faith? Radiant, grace, activate, some other community. How long are you going to sit in a pew and continue to be fed versus realizing not just what you're being fed, but what you've been given by God materially, he gives you not so you can go, ah, I'm all good, but so that you can see the people that God's put around you and say, are they good? Do they know that God loves them too? Do they know that God actually, and a lot of times, you know, people are like, I've never experienced God, I've never seen Jesus. One of the things that we don't see in this story, but Jesus tells us over and over again, is the way that people encounter Christ is through us. We who reflect Christ to each other. And the only other thing I want to just say, because I think it's, and it's kind of going a little bit the other way, but I think it's really important that we, this idea of we are called to serve, we are called to give. But I think you have to be really careful, because I think that the church can tip this way too, where we think it's all about what we've got. And it comes back to we only have something to give because Jesus gives it to us. Amen. Something in this passage that you can miss that I think is really important that dovetails this at the front end and on the back end, which I think is not unintentional, is when Jesus initiates this, and Pastor Joel alluded to it, before there is any food to distribute, Jesus gives, blesses it, gives thanks to God. He doesn't thank God <laughs> to get the food. He thanks God for giving the food. It's this acknowledgement of the only reason why I have anything to give is because God has provided it. So prayer at the beginning, this recognition of if we've got something to give, it's only because we realize God has given it to us. But then notice, and John is the one who gives this to us, prayer at the end, that dark turn of the miracle when the crowd comes and says, hey, we want more of that food and we want to make you king. Jesus doesn't just withdraw. What do the scriptures tell us? Jesus withdrew to pray. And something very interesting about this story is when Jesus starts out his ministry, he goes into the wilderness and has three temptations. One of those temptations, do you remember? Turn these stones to bread. All, these mir- all those temptations were about, hey, make it all about you, Jesus. Make it all about you. And Jesus continues to point and say, it's only about the Father, what the Father provides me to do. So why does Jesus go off to alone and pray? 
I think it's seeing a very human side of Jesus where Jesus fundamentally says, Father, oh my gosh, they were about to make me king. This was about to happen. Please protect me from giving into that temptation, rearing its head again, that if I just give the people what they want, then everything will be great. So for us, when we serve, I think we always have to come start and end from a place of prayer. Recognition, if we have anything to give, it comes from God. And then when we finish, not clapping ourselves on the back, not basically going, man, how awesome is grace? How awesome are grace, radiate, and activate? Now, we're, we're, we're amazing. Gradiate. Gradiate. Or gra- gradiate. 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 I like Gradiate. It, but more saying, hey, this is something we Poor celebrate Drew. for the sake of the kingdom. Final words, Pastor Joel. Wrap this up for us. I'm done. <laughs> well, I will, I will say one thing, one, one last thing. <laughs> no, no, I don't think Joel, if anybody asked, I don't, Drew, tell me if anybody asked this question. What happened to the leftovers? Did that get sent in? One, one question did ask that. Do you ever wonder what happened to the leftovers? They went in the refrigerator and they got thrown out a week later because nobody <laughs> ate them. It could be, or maybe, did the disciples go and share those leftovers? Yeah. I mean, that's a, to yeah, me, yeah. It's something that always it's sticks good. out about this story. Yeah. What happened to the leftovers? And why and, leftovers? And why leftovers? I think the why leftovers is a really good question yeah. because it gets back to what you just talked about, that everything we have is, comes from the abundance that God gives. And that what we started, I'm still talking, Jeremy. <laughs> You said you were done. I know, sir. but then they asked another question. Did he not? You, you, did, say, you did say you were done. Okay. But, but now I lost go my on, train of We're going to give grace. Preachers always Jeez. say they're done. And they're we're true. going to give grace because we're. I grace. am on my third final point. All right. Okay? All right. It All right. comes from the abundance of God, right? So, the, what I think the 12, the leftovers are about, and the 12 is significant there, but that's more of a tying into the Old Testament. But it's the abundance of God. That even when we give, as Jeremy said earlier, we can't outgive God. Mm. So here we give you everything we have. And usually we, offer, we, we sometimes offer from scarcity, like, oh, we're afraid of losing it. And what we end up with on the back end is more than what we gave in the first place. So abundance of yeah. God, there's my answer. Wow, yeah. you, you landed that. Amen. Okay, thank you. It's that God Amen. can give more. My interruptions. He, 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 yeah, I mean, that's yeah, great. More than we can ask or imagine. That's what I was going to say. Thank you all for sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you for all of your questions and stuff as well. Can we just give a thanks offerings to Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Joel and Pastor Chris? And I'm going to... uh, I'll close this out in a quick time of prayer, and then we're going to head into a time of uh, more, more music and uh, worshiping through our offering. But let's pray together. Father, we just pray that you help us realize all that you've already given us. We pray that you help us see how abundant your provision is, and we pray that you give us the eyes to see where you're at work so that we can join you. In all these things, Lord, we thank you and we love you. Amen. Ushers forward to receive our gifts and offerings. Um, John 12, 26, uh, towards the beginning, says, Whoever serves me must follow me. So join us in singing, I have decided to follow Jesus.
Amen. Would you guys bow your heads as I pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we've heard your words today. I pray that your words would make that journey from our heads down into our hearts and that we would be people who learn to follow you intently in giving of our time and our talent and our treasure, that you would be glorified and magnified through our lives in our neighborhoods, in our schools, uh, in our, with our coworkers, in our families, in the most difficult places we possibly can. Father, I pray that you would just lead us and guide us more and more into faith as we continue to follow you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Will you guys join me in a prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory. this moment in the service, we are going to be coming to the table uh, to receive communion. Um, if you didn't have a chance to grab one of the kits on your way in, please raise your hand and some from our team would be happy to bring one to you or to someone in your party. Uh, and then hold on to it. We're going to take it where you're seated. We'll take it all together in just a moment. Um, as I was reflecting on kind of what our pastors were sharing with us today, the, th the word that stuck out to me was abundance. The abundance of God, the fact that God, Jesus, uh, asked his disciples to carry on the ministry that he had called them into, and when they look around and they see their own lack, the only thing they can think about is, well, let's scatter and everyone fend for themselves. But Jesus came to be a shepherd for the sheep and not to scatter them, but to gather them. And so instead he asked, well, what do you have? And then they steal some boy's lunch and uh, offer that up and say, well, this guy has something. And Jesus takes that and gives thanks for it and says, now pass it out. And I wonder how incredible it was for the disciples because I think the miracle was most evident to them. They saw what it had started as. They saw what Jesus had handed to them. Then they saw as they continually passed it out to group after group after group after group how it never ran out. And then they were the ones who got to gather up the leftovers. And they start from a place of, I don't have anything, to now we each got a whole basket. And it's too much for me to even eat. And what do I do with this? And I wonder if we come here today, if we feel that burden of, oh, we have to do whatever it is we think we have to do on behalf of God or to prove ourselves to God or to, to show that we love Jesus and therefore we want everyone to know that Jesus loves them too. So I've got to do something. But we are afraid of our own lack. And so if you're feeling that way this morning, I want you to hear the words of grace that says, Jesus, he's already done it for you. And he's continually doing it in you. And he's bringing the abundance that he is trying to send out through you. That's why we come to this table to remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he 
broke it after supper and he raised it before his disciples and he said, this is my body. It's not something else. It's not something you have to come up with. It's mine and I'm giving it to you. And so I invite you to take and eat in remembrance of me. And so I invite you to take and eat in remembrance of Jesus and the body that he gives to us. And in the same way, he raised the cup before them after supper and he gave thanks for it. And he says, this cup is the new covenant that's in my blood. Not something you have to do to earn. Not something you have to figure out. But it's mine and I give it to you and it's poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. That's why I invite you to take and drink for the forgiveness of your sins. Beloved, we are the people of God. For these are the gifts of God. And they're given to us to be shared. And so now we come from this place and we respond in worship. And so I invite you where you're seated to respond in prayer to our Father or as our music team leads us in singing. Or if you'd like to come up to the rail to receive prayer, you could just catch the attention of one of our prayer team. We'd be happy to pray with you or for you. But let's turn in response to worship God.
and now receive uh, the benediction. And as we say at Radiant a lot, a uh, reminder that this is not just a, a benediction that you receive, it's also a benediction that you uh, are to give. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace and serve the Lord.